Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast, episode 341. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm sorry that we didn't get a podcast out to you last week. We had a great one lined up, um, some of which we're going to carry over into this week's show. Uh, but we had something of a brutal deadline putting our big end of year issue to bed. It is a monster of an issue, the biggest issue we've done this year. It's got loads of cool stuff with it. Uh, we've got some kind of gifts coming back with the magazine and all this kind of stuff, really exciting stuff. Uh, but it was a bit of a monster to put to bed. So we didn't get to do a podcast for you last week, but it's okay because we're back. I've amassed the dream team together to uh, to get this one away. We've got loads and loads of stuff to talk about. Um, I am Mel, by the way, in case you hadn't realised, and I'm joined today by the one and only Miss Eleanor Goodman. How are you doing, El? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Very well indeed. I'm also joined by the one and only Mr. Stephen Hill. How are you doing, Steve? All right, thanks, mate. Pretty good. good. That's what I like to hear. Everyone's feeling good. Um, there's been quite a bit of stuff going on since we uh, since we last all met. Um, I saw the Metallica stream a couple of weeks back, which I was going to talk about uh, on last week's show, but didn't get the chance to. I know quite a lot of stuff around it is out now. Did either of you guys catch any of the kind of highlights of it or anything like that? I don't think you watched it live, did you? No, didn't. I've not seen any of it at all. None at all. I saw um, on YouTube the Blackened 2020. I was a bit gutted because somehow, even though probably loads and loads of noise was made about this, I completely missed it was happening. <laughs> I don't know how. Just living in my house and not talking to anyone is obviously having an effect. But yeah, I saw Black in 2020 and I saw the video wall they had. And I know it was for um, their charity foundation as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, all within their, all within my, or the, all within my hands charity, excuse, excuse me. Um, they announced that they've uh, raised over a million dollars through it this year, which is pretty cool stuff. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. I didn't know if I was actually going to watch this, but I was, uh, uh, I just kind of got in that position where I, it was like 10 PM. I wasn't really doing anything. So I thought, why not crack open some beers and tune into it. Um, and it, and it was really, really cool. I was kind of up for it. I was in the mood for it. So I was kind of embracing the whole concept of it, but I enjoyed it a lot, lot more than I even thought I was going to, to be honest. Um, and like many things Metallica turned their hands to. Uh, it felt like they made an effort to to try and do things just a little bit differently. Um, the first half of the concert set thingy was all all acoustic, all kind of uh, in that kind of vibe. Some were songs that we've seen them do before, things like Turn the Page. Um, they did that really cool acoustic version of All Within My Hands that, that they've done a few times now. I uh, saw them do that at the S&M concert last year. Um, they also did like The Unforgiven. They did their Deep Purple cover, When a Blind Man Cries. Uh, and as El said, they did that cool new version of Blackened, which I absolutely love and just should not work whatsoever, but somehow does kind of like country and Western um, acoustic version of one of the most famous thrash metal songs ever. Uh, but it's great. Uh, they did a, a, a new version of Creeping Death, which again had that kind of country-fied twangy acoustic vibe to it, which was really, really strange. I don't think it worked quite as well as Blackened, but it was still really good fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, they did a version of Now That We're Dead that definitely lended itself to that kind of vibe more. Obviously, that's one of the slower, groovier songs of Hardwired, um, and that works really, really well in the acoustic vibe. Uh, they did Turn the Page, which is one of the greatest cover songs ever, so enjoyed that. Um, and then they did the version with All Within My Hands uh, that I mentioned as well. Um, so that was all really cool. Um, as Elle said, they had this big screen projected kind of around them, 
which had uh, loads of fans beamed onto via, I don't know, Skype or Zoom or whatever it was. Um, I think you could buy like quite expensive tickets to be able to to get on that screen. Um, but all the money raised went to charity and stuff, so that was cool. So that gave it a nice vibe. It made it feel that little bit more like a concert. Um, it made it feel kind of more like a proper gig, but at the same time more intimate in a way because they were so close to all these fans individually, which is really nice. And as the gig went on, they would shout out random. Uh, I think all the, the fans had like little serial numbers attached to their um, broadcasts. So you could um, the, the band would like call out a serial number like, oh, let's talk to uh, V181 and then they'd have a little conversation with whoever popped up. So that was really, really nice. They really made an effort to make the fans all feel welcome and, and part of the show, which is really cool. Uh, and then the second half of the set is where things went a bit unexpected because out of nowhere, Hetfield just suddenly plugged in and they did this really weird kind of broken down and rebuilt half acoustic, half electric cover of Disposable Heroes that was so out of left field. It genuinely took me about a minute to even work out which song they were playing because unless you specifically know all the every single lyric, um, I, I, I didn't know what it was. I was like, what is this song? And then they went into the chorus and I was like, oh my God, this, this is Disposable Heroes. What, the, what is this? Uh, so that was really weird. I still don't know if I liked it as much as the Blackens one and some of the other ones they did, but it was definitely different and it felt like quite a cool song in its own right. It was just so unrecognisable from what Disposable Heroes is that it was just like, I don't know, it was just bizarre. But um, I gave Mr. Credit for doing that. Uh, and then they did the cover of The House of the Rising Sun, one of the most famous songs ever written, uh, which is quite cool. Um, and then the best bit of the whole set for me, no contest, was they went into Wasting My Hate off of Load, which was just so badass and so unexpected. Steve's pulling a little ooh face. Yeah. He likes to sound like <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was so cool. I, like, it, it, There's not been many times watching all these streams where I've actually, like, almost jumped off my sofa and gone, yes, at the TV. But that was one of them because, uh, again, even though I wasn't actually there, it kind of felt like you were there seeing Metallica bust out this really rare track. Um, first time they've even played that song in nearly a decade. So that was really, really cool. Uh, and then there yeah, they finished with the classic trio for whom the bell tolls, Master Puppets, and into Sandman. So it was really, really cool. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. It was, uh, it felt like, they really made an effort to do things a bit differently with the kind of half electric, half acoustic thing that they did for a couple of the songs. Um, and you've got all these completely different versions of famous Metallica tracks, some which definitely work better than others, but um, I really, really enjoyed it. It like, it felt like an event concert. Um, and I was saying this to our writer, Joe Daly, actually, who reviewed it for the magazine, but I think we always compare Metallica to other metal bands in the things they do. So we're like, oh yeah, Trivium have done a stream, like Code Orange are doing streams, Architects have done a stream that we'll talk about, Metallica doing a stream. But actually, when you think about just how big this band are, they're in the 10 biggest or so rock bands of maybe all time ever, certainly in the world today. And I mean, there might be others. I know like Foo Fighters have done some stuff, but generally speaking, you don't get other bands this size doing this kind of thing. Certainly not doing it and putting this much thought and effort into how to make it different, how to make it feel personal to fans, how to use it to make money for a good cause. Um, and I feel like we say it a lot on here, but again, for a band that gets so much shit from the metal community, I just think, I don't understand how people can hate what Metallica do these days because I just think it's so awesome that they're actually, like, they really don't have to do this. Do you know what I mean? Like no one's, 
asking them to go out and do that. They do it because they really want to do it and they seem to really enjoy doing it. And I just think, I don't know, it was yet another kind of jewel in the crown of um, making me just love and appreciate Metallica much, much more, which has definitely been a running theme since Hardwired dropped. Um, so yeah, it was a lovely time. It was a lovely, whatever it was, Friday or Saturday night. I think that says a lot about, you know, the very, very best bands. All the things, I mean, obviously I didn't, I didn't, I haven't seen any of it to be honest, but um, you know, the fact that if you're one of the very, very top tier bands, you do go out of your way to look at something like streaming and go, what can we do that's different? You know, like you just said yourself, you, it wasn't just like watching a band play live and that's, you know, with streaming, you can do more than that. And that's what sets a band like Metallica apart from what we're about to talk about. Let's just park that. Strike there, Merlin, if you like. It was, I could sense you kind of parking the lorry of hot takes up the drive there. <laughs> she went down so yeah that was that was one stream it was very different um and i definitely give them credit for that and i think you know what steve said is absolutely true um what we saw uh this weekend just gone by on saturday night was architects have a go at it um so it's the first time architects have done a stream like this uh they booked out the royal albert hall to do it obviously not in front of any fans um and uh yeah we should talk about that so architects at the royal albert hall um what did we think of this what did we uh kind of make of this whole thing i've just bagged on about metallica for ages so l what did you think of the architect stream it's really exciting that they got to do the royal albert hall even under these circumstances because when i interviewed sam for feature probably would have been like five years ago now around the time that Bring Me did their Royal Albert Hall show. Sam was saying that they were really keen to do something the same. You know, they kind of come up together and that was where they wanted to be. So um, it's cool that they have kind of done that because it's probably that sort of, you know, a tick on the checklist of ambition of things done. And um, it was very cool that they sort of showed off the venue aspect of it. Like when they opened it, walking through the empty corridors, which is, it's still weird to see busy locations completely empty like walking through the empty corridors and then walking into the hall. Mm. And then Sam just started the show from the middle and the camera was kind of showing all of the empty lit up seats and things. And it's very odd, um, but it was kind of a cool way to do it, like a way to make, make it theatrical in a venue that hasn't got any people in, sort of almost just to play up the weirdness of the situation. Um, and I, I think they really went for it. They, You know, they obviously... Um, it's been a long time since they played. They've got new songs. They played a few of the new songs, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And um, I really enjoyed the show. I just thought they really went for it and really um, had an amazing set list. Uh, and it was one of those. It's one of those points you get to with a band where they have a set list and you enjoy every single song and you go, "Wow, they've actually got a set list now where they can have a greatest hit set because they're however many albums deep that that can be a thing now." And um, yeah, really enjoyed it. I would really like to actually see it <laughs> at the actual venue in person. But um, I think it was a nice opportunity for them to do something that felt like an event and takes off an ambition for them. And it was a good, good watch. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to kind of help to layer in. I know I know what Steve's opinion is because we've talked so about do it. I, I, I thought we'll get into a debate in a minute, won't we? So I'll just kind of give my opinion. Yeah, no, no. But I think, you know, I think there's I think there's very valid things to be said about this whole thing because we're in a new world now. We know what streaming is. 
the act of doing a stream in and of itself isn't a um, isn't a you know an impressive groundbreaking thing in its own right. Just talks about Metallica trying to do things a little bit differently. Um, but you know, I really, really loved this stream, and I loved the way it was done. Um, one of the things I wrote in my notes before I'd even me and Stephen even chatted about this was that they, I think, architects were very clever about making the most out of a relatively limited kind of setup. They had a really cool big screen behind them, doing loads of you know nice projections and amazing high def graphics and all that kind of stuff, similar to some of the things that Trivium had behind them. Um, and that was just about it. They were kind of playing in the rounds beyond that. Um, but I think what I loved about it is that it just kind of exemplified what an amazing band they are. I think the sound on this stream was absolutely exemplary. Uh, I think the the main thing I kept on thinking throughout the whole thing is just what an incredible singer Sam Carter is, like easily the best vocalist of his kind of scene in his generation. He's just absolutely phenomenal. He never seemed to lose a beat or lose a note or go... You know, sometimes, especially like heavy vocalists, they kind of start to lose a little bit of steam near the end. They get a bit dry throated or whatever. Like every single second of his vocals just sounded absolutely phenomenal. Um, I love the acoustic midsection of Momentum Warrior and Wasted Him. I thought that was really cool. Um, one thing I will say is um, I, I really like Animals in particular. I think like Animals already sounds like a big single. Like as soon as it goes into that kind of crunching riff, you kind of get that vibe of it's a big song and it fits straight into the set. I do think that the nature of the new tracks they played, um, because they're different, I'm not going into whether I think they're better or worse or anything like that right now. We'll save that for another time. But because they're, they're very different, I think they got shown up a little bit by what came straight after. You know, I liked, uh, I liked Discourse is Dead. It's, I thought it sounded really strong. I liked the kind of theatrics on it and the atmosphere on it. But... Following that with Broken Cross is pretty, that's a pretty hard kind of, it's quite easy to kind of forget what happened when you've got a massive song like that following it straight after. Um, same thing again for me with um, Dead Butterflies. Uh, no, not Dead Butterflies, sorry, with Animals, because they went from Animals straight into Holy Hell. And again, it just kind of, the power of Holy Hell kind of toppled over anim Animals a little bit for me. Um but generally speaking, yeah, I love the set. I was just sat watching it on the sofa again with a few beers and I just found myself kind of singing along and just really enjoying it and and all the rest of it. And it didn't even occur to me to think there was anything to fault it with until I talked to Steve afterwards, who made some quite interesting points, which I will happily hand over to you to do now, Steve. Yeah, I mean, for the record, I don't disagree with what you said about the performance and Again, for the record, I love Architects. I absolutely fucking love Architects. I put them on an incredibly high pedestal for what bands did. And I think it's maybe for that reason why I felt quite disappointed with the stream. Because for me, what are we now? Um, eight months into lockdown and bands have been playing these these kind of live streams and i'm going to say kind of quote unquote live streams because one of the things that i personally find a bit confusing a bit frustrating about these is that they're not actually live the stream is live it's performed as live but it's not happening it's not kind of being streamed to you live i think a few people have done that and to me like i think well if you're going to play live and all you can do and all you're going to do is play live you should probably stream it live and then i think like the thing you said about metallica and then 
interacting with their fans. That must have been happening there and then in that moment. I think it just gives that anything that can bring you that little bit closer to give you that kind of frisson of it actually happening. I think bands should do if that's all they're going to do. If that's all they're going to do is play live. Architects obviously weren't playing live because they said when Sam came in and that very, um, very exciting and like I say dramatic and quite brilliant opening to it. You could see that it was, you know, the light was coming in from the outside of the Royal Albert Hall and he stood in the middle of the empty venue and started Nihilist. And I did go, wow, this is going to be great. And then he walked onto the stage and what we got was a kind of pre-recorded live stream of Architects playing live in front of nobody. And if you want to be considered one of the very, 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 very best bands, Biffy Clyro is a really good comparative point. If you watch the Biffy Clyro stream, the reason Biffy Clyro didn't play live is because the thing that they put together couldn't have been done live. It was like a kind of elongated music video. Simon Neil went outside and played outside the venue. The band went into this kind of mirrored cuboid box thing. There were, uh, you know, there were costume changes. Same with Code Orange. You look at the Code Orange one, those jump scares, those costume changes, those different things that were happening. You just think, well, yes, this is more like a kind of live performance that's been captured and spliced together like some kind of actually played live music video and i can understand that and i think very 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 highly of architects and i can't fault them for the way that the songs were played but i thought it showed a distinct lack of um uh imagination to just come onto the stage at the royal albert hall and play live and that be it and, and film it beforehand i would rather wait and see that happening live in front of my face. It just made me go, oh, yeah, I'm not really there. There have been a few streams I've looked at and gone, this isn't pretending to me like I'm actually there. You're not going to recreate that. You're not going to recreate the feeling that you get from being at a live gig, and you're certainly not going to create it just by standing in an empty venue and filming yourself playing it live and then putting it out as a stream a few days later. So I'd rather you did something more with that. There are some bands that don't have the budget to do that. I watched the Palm Reader stream, who we'll talk about Palm Reader in a little bit later, and Palm Reader don't have the budget to do anything more than really just play their songs live. Architects do, and Architects are a band who I think have shown over their career that they have much more, they're more intelligent and they're better than most of their bands that are their peers. And I expected something which pushed them further forward than the majority of their peers, and that isn't what I got. And for that reason, there's nothing wrong with the performance, there's nothing wrong with the songs, but you need to utilize that, that thing that's happening right now, the streaming service. I'm disappointed that a band that I felt are, are much better than that just trod water, just kind of slept, walked through it and went, I oh, will just play live in the Royal Albert Hall. It's not good enough for me. I'm, I'm sorry, it's just not. I think that's it though. I think they were relying on the venue, the prestige of the venue and the fact that it's taken them that like a long time to kind of get to that point where they could play it and it was sort of meant to be almost like a prestige thing and a kind of prestige performance um i see what you're saying about streams did you see the puss of a stream no so that was really interesting because the majority of streams i've watched have been live apart from the code orange one you mentioned and the puss for one which was filmed in this really weird um, architectural place called Arcosanti, which was started in the 70s and kind of looks all alien and weird. And um, I didn't know what to expect from that one. And that was pre-recorded. 
And they had several different setups at that one. And they cut in some of the music video and they had a beginning and an end they'd filmed with the character Billy D, kind of top and tailing it like a story. Um, and I don't, they couldn't have done that live because not just the changing of the setups, like the the extent to which it was um, very kind of, there were lots of moving parts, basically, lots of, you know, different musicians, different bits of lighting, different bits of the venue. There's no way that that could have been done live. It would have just been them playing and probably not as good. So I thought the way they did that was really good. Um, and I don't think it's beyond architects' capabilities to do something like that. I just think this time around, it, what, the thing was the Royal Albert Hall. The thing wasn't streaming. And so I think that was just kind of the intention of it. I'm not saying, you know, your opinion isn't valid. I think that's just, you know, that was the focus of it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's as maybe, but I mean, that's, you know, it's prestige for them, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's not really prestige for, for it's, it's, there's no sort of prestige for the, the watcher other than going hooray for that. I mean, they've played Wembley before, you know, like they're, um, we've seen them at big, big prestigious venues before. And again, you know, like the performance itself is fine, but I don't, I think charging people 20 quid just to watch a pre-recorded video of you playing live in an empty room, I think that's a bit of a piss take to be perfectly honest. And I think the best bands haven't done that. And my, my kind of disappointment with the stream is that I consider architects to be, you know, on a, on a, on a par with Pussifer Biffy Clyro, Code Orange, Behemoth, those sort of bands that have genuinely pushed the envelope of streaming. I think at the moment where people can't go to live shows and live gigs, I don't think the streaming thing's going to go away at all. I just think it, when bands can come back and they can play live, those bands that I've just mentioned who can actually do something interesting with it are going to be the bands who I think will still be able to continue to do live streams and make something interesting out of it. And for the bands like, I mean, when I think of, I don't know, Mr. Bungle one was all right, but it's only because you haven't seen Bungle for ages. But, you know, I, I'm not sure how big their budget was. Or like, I saw no effects. Again, like, I, I no effects in a live stream, their stuff where they can go out on tour. I mean, I hope not. And they shouldn't do because they, they didn't do anything interesting with it. I Puss think there is going to be... For should. Pussifer, a band like Pussifer should continue this when gigs go back because they clearly have the sort of the thought and the imagination. And I wouldn't mind paying for something if I feel like, well, I'm not going to get that at a gig. I think you're kind of coming to this early in a sense of, I think there will be a threshold at which people are bored of live streams and at which people want more from live streams. And I kind of think you're kind of just experiencing this maybe earlier than a lot of people. Yeah, maybe. I think at the start of the pandemic, when people started doing live streams, it was like, oh, we get to experience live music and we get to see something and we get to connect with the world. And it's just really nice. And it's sort of you just took anything you could get really. It's like, oh, this band are doing a live stream. I'll watch that. I want to see some music. And now it's almost like, oh, yeah, it's sort of almost the apathy that sinks in with gigs as well. If you're, if you're a spoiled brat and you live in London, and there's 100 gigs on in one night. And you're like, yeah, I could go to a gig, but there'll always be more gigs. And I kind of just wonder if that's going to creep in for other people in the future but they're not quite there yet whereas it's kind of happened for you now i i think it's you, you can't i can't unsee the biffy clyro one i can't unsee right. the one i know what what is capable i mean you know architects would have had a far bigger budget than code orange they would probably have a probably not as quite as big a budget as biffy clyro but you know i i just think you know for me having seen what is capable 
of those with those streams um i think you need to really you know if you're asking people for money for stuff you know i mean we've 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 all been to gigs before where we've gone you know they're, they're playing an arena and they put the idea like you know back in the day you could play a gig and it's just you know like you're going to see the offspring and there's a curtain behind you that says the offspring yeah and, and the band play live and you go oh, that's a download headlining set well it's not good enough anymore is it it's not good enough to headline down well, that, that happened with real shows that happened with real gigs like is that, is that what your point is because you know when we were back in the 90s and early 2000s you could just literally have a banner with your name and then it crept up to this thing where you have to have pyro at a certain level now or people will just dismiss you but i think it's the same with streams i think people haven't got to that point you've got to yet and are just happy to see their favorite bands doing their favorite songs and maybe there will be a point where people become um apathetic and they want they want more stuff and i think maybe if you've been you've particularly steve with this biffy stream by the sounds of it have been exposed to more it kind of increases your threshold for what you think is good and what you don't think is good and maybe other people are going to get to that point soon i do yeah i do think um that's a fair point you know i i, I never i didn't see the biffy claro stream i really wish i had because i got you know having not really engaged with biffy for a few years the albums ended up being maybe my maybe my favorite album of the whole year all things considered um so i really wish i had seen that i didn't see the last code orange stream um i've not actually watched a lot of these things over the last few months to be honest um and so i think when i do choose to do it it still feels like a bit of a novelty and like with the architect stream me and my girlfriend sat on just we knew we were going to watch it poured some beers sat on the thing and it felt like it felt like a, a fun thing because we, you, you know that thousands of other people are doing the exact same thing. Um, and with the right combination of bands, I'm happy with that. You know, I, I paid for my ticket for the architects thing and I didn't feel like I got shortchanged for it. But um, I think it depends on what you're expecting to get out of it. Um, maybe I wouldn't feel the same if I was just sat watching it on my computer by myself not with some beer in me. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. But it's an interest. It's an interesting point. But I didn't. It's funny because I genuinely didn't even think anything other than this is great until you know Steve made those points, and I kind of thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe if I'd seen a ton of other streams, I'd feel a bit differently. But I think that for me, even all those things taken in mind, I think they still pulled off a great show just because they are that good that I do think their songs can speak for themselves. And I think the, the, the level of musicianship and talent they have, I do think that it, especially when you're kind of a bit more up in their faces and intimate with them in the way they filmed it, I think it, I think it still works for me. Um, but, you know, I can see why if you're holding up to the standards of how is this stream edited, how is it produced, how is it, what kind of world does it create, then it, it certainly didn't do that, of course not. Mm. I mean, yeah, like I say, musically, I can't fault architects at all. I just think that, you know, like I say, they're just, I feel like they should be held to the highest of standards. because I also, I also, But I also think we're in a pandemic and the fact that they did that stream was amazing in the first place when you actually think about the logistics of actually how you know it's all right to sit in front of your computer and say it wasn't good enough for you which i'm not saying you're necessarily saying you said it was good but to still have to get all the crew and all the band and the venue and everybody and make sure that nobody's gonna catch covid and do it to a professional level there's still a lot of work involved in that so i think it's you know 
you can't just dismiss the amount of work that went into it as well as the amount of talent they displayed. Like it's still, for me, it's still very, very valid. But I think for me, for me, your point is, I think that more people will feel like this as time goes on. But at the moment, probably the majority of people watching that were just super happy to see a band they love doing something cool. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's what they like. It did seem, I mean, for what it's worth, it did seem like people were absolutely loving it as you know i saw i saw a lot of people um you know i've not seen any other dissenting views about it to be honest so it's interesting to see where it will go from here um but uh you know i like yeah i really enjoyed it and um again i i do think it's interesting that we've not apart from me kind of saying i felt like they got a bit shown up by their their main material i think it's interesting that we've not even talked about the new songs um you know, I've I've seen a lot of you know. It seemed like uh, discourse is dead, and Dead Plus Flies both got good kind of feedback generally. But when I look back and kind of really think about the moments that stood out, it's tracks like Nihilist, Grave Digger, um, and also as well, Holy Hell. Those songs all sound like certified greatest hits as well now. Which when that album came out, I thought it was fucking great, but I wasn't quite sure if it quite um, matched up to the finer moments of the albums beforehand, but those songs sounded absolutely colossal on Saturday as well. So it is what it is, what it is. And we'll hear more of that new album uh, in a couple of months time when we no doubt review it right here on this podcast. Um, the latest issue, by the way, of Metal Hammer is out right now. Uh, we did actually publish our much talked about uh, Marilyn Manson feature in full online. We felt like it was, uh, it was worth putting up for people to read right now. So you can go and read that Marilyn Manson feature on the Metal Home website, in full now. Brilliant piece by Dave Everly um, that we talked about a couple of weeks back. Uh, but you can still pick up the magazine itself, which has our huge Eddie Van Halen all-star metal tribute in it. We've got tributes from people from Black Sabbath, Slayer, Hellstorm, Lamb of God, Five Finger Death Punch. And we've got Zach Wilde in there. Loads and loads and loads of great artists. Um, we've got stuff on Ghost, Killer Be Killed, Emma Ruth Rundle and Thou, Mr. Bungle, Paul Bearer, Oceans of Slumber, Spirit Box, Seven Dust, Souls to Fear, Armored Saints. My God, there's loads in there. Uh, it's out right now. We also have some Black Friday subscription deals. So if you've been thinking about subscribing to the world's greatest heavy metal magazine, uh, it will never have been cheaper than it will be for Black Friday. We've got those deals up right now. Um, I can't remember quite how much it works out per magazine if you subscribe at the moment, but it is ridiculously cheap. To be honest, I'm almost annoyed about it. The amount of work we put into these things and we're just giving you these subscriptions like it ain't no thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no um it, you know subscriptions are always the lifeblood of metal hammer so if anyone's thinking about subscribing maybe getting it for someone as a christmas present something like that we really really appreciate your support and uh you can get some amazing deals right now over on metalhammer.com to do all that well um it's that time of year again guys it's that time where we just moan about the grammys <laughs> not doing <laughs> rock and metal very well. Who uh, has something positive to say? Should we do that first? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. I've got lots positive to say. Actually. I've got a lot of positive things to say about these nominations, funnily enough. So, really? Yeah, yeah, quite a lot. Well, wow. think, yeah, but there's some interesting points to be had here, actually. So let, let's kind of mainly concentrate on the metal on the metal nominations, um, and then we can kind of glance through the, the other ones that are relevant. Uh, so the Grammys have announced the nominations for... Uh, next year's it's early next year isn't it the official for the show i think 
Yeah. Um, so the Grammy nominations for best metal performance, which is, you know, finally got its own category in recent years again. Uh, the best metal performance Grammy nominations run as follows. Uh, Body Count are nominated for Bum Rush. Code Orange uh, nominated for Underneath. Um, that'll be the, the song, um, not the album. Uh, Poppy is nominated for Blood Money. In This Moment are nominated for The In-Between. And Power Trip are nominated for a live version of Executioner's Tax. What do we think of these nominations then? Be positive, Steve. What are you saying? Well, I think the first positive thing to say is um, even though this might be some kind of patronising, head-patting tokenism due to the very, very tragic death of Riley Gale, I think it's amazing to see a band like Power Trip getting nominated for the best metal performance at the Grammy. Now, there's a touch of... I remember when the Brits nominated um, Eagles of Death Metal as best band um, after all the sort of horrible stuff that happened to them, and it did feel a little bit tokenistic. And I'm not going to lie, this feels a little bit tokenistic, but at the same time, ultimately, the Grammys is fairly tokenistic towards metal, full stop. So I don't think there's anyone uh, who would begrudge Power Trip their nomination. And if they were to win it, um, and I think they've got a pretty good chance of winning it as well. Um, that would be great. It is a little bit odd that it's a live version of Executioner, Executioner's Tax from an album that came out sort of three years ago. But hey, um, seeing Power Trip get that nomination was a really, really good thing. Um, obviously, obviously, if it comes to who deserves it the most, Code Orange comfortably deserve it the most, I think, no doubt about it. Um Body Count is really cool as well. That new Body Count album is pretty decent. I think that's good. Um, I think Poppy makes, you know, Poppy is the one that if you read the comments on Twitter when they tweeted these nominations out, Poppy was the one that all the people were kind of going, oh, yeah, she's got a win. I think it's kind of odd that, I mean, that album is sort of metally. It's not really very good, but it is sort of metally. And she's quite a high-profile artist coming into the metal world. So I think there being that amount of sort of hype around the, the category for once is quite a positive thing, even though I don't really like the music. And in this moment, who well, I don't have anything positive to say to be about, to be honest, but, you know, they are there. So I thought I'd mention them as well. <laughs> They're probably the biggest band in this category, strangely. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even convinced Poppy's that big, to be honest. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if I know anyone that actually listens to Poppy. To be honest, a younger demographic band, and that's why you probably don't know anyone who listens to her. I mean, she's a YouTube sensation, isn't she? So yeah. it's a completely different audience to the type of audience that would usually be paying attention to the metal category. I mean, obviously, those people don't know anything else about the other bands. I wouldn't have thought, but you know, at least shines a bit of a light on it i guess i mean i'm trying to sweet i'm trying to kind of spin it in a positive way well in the same way that you said you know power trip or they were all very pleased it's there it is a bit of tokenism really i feel like with this category i looked at it and my first thought was oh that's really cool there's two women in it and then i kind of thought yeah they probably did that on purpose and that's fine like positive discrimination talked about that before all good for that three did i count wrongly there's three women yeah in this Reba. Reba. Poppy. Oh, yeah, I completely forgot. 
completely forgot she was in Code Orange. I'm a terrible. I be delighted. <laughs> I was thinking. I guess I'm thinking like front men. You know who fronts the band, and there's two fronted by women. Slash, one of them is a solo artist. Um, but yeah, I kind of thought that's really good. And then I kind of thought they probably sat down and thought we need to make sure we have women in this. Riley's passed away. It would be good to acknowledge him. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but I think it has probably influenced the balance of these nominations and how they came to this decision. And Code Orange, um, you can't really deny that they've kind of been the youngest band that's had noise about made about them really like the, the of the up and coming metal bands they're the one that's they're at the front of the pack so um it is good and it is kind of um again sort of obvious that they'd be in there yeah that's that's very fair um i was being slightly facetious with the poppy thing by the way i'm aware that there are kids on the internet that listen to these bands <laughs> but um i don't know i'm st- i guess i'm still not totally convinced that um I think kind of like what Steve said. I like the idea of Poppy more than I like her music personally. I don't, um, I don't know. Like in terms of like strange artists that do multi-genre things and are well eccentric and stuff. I think Grimes is a million times better. She's the metal Grimes, isn't she? She does exactly the same sort of things, like quirky videos, dressing in latex, uh, videos with high-pitched, tiny voices. but you know but anyway yeah no she's cool and it's different and it's not you know i'm sure if we were sitting here and it was like megadeth metallica judas priest and black sabbath nominated we'd be saying oh it's just all like older bands made up of men so yeah it's cool i can imagine imagine if body count won ice t would have a few things to say about riley you know given that they were so close and did a song together I mean, I will say, to be honest, uh, Code Orange obviously got uh, now two-time nominees, which is pretty cool. They lost out to Mastodon last time out. Um, it's actually, pre- it kind of goes to show you just how prolific, uh, high profile um, and beloved Riley was in the metal scene. Because if that is indeed kind of a nod to the fact that he passed away, that's a, that's a big impact that he's had to, to, to the extent where the Grammys are going to nominate him and his band for something it's pretty amazing to think that mm-hmm. uh, and yeah you know there's not i mean it'll be it'll be interesting to see who win code orange will be really cool power trip would be nice i wouldn't have an issue with body count i mean i wouldn't really have an issue with anyone winning it because it would feel like something a bit different from what we're used to seeing at the grammys so um i i'd have an i'd have an issue within this moment winning it i mean i fully expect poppy to win it to be perfectly honest because i think there is a hell of a lot of, to- it's, you know, it's going to be the thing of, like, oh, there's something that we've heard of that's not entirely metal, so let's jump on that. So I fully expect Poppy to win. Um, and the others, I mean, yeah, I don't think you could, I mean, it would be good to see Ice-T win a Grammy for his metal band, like that would be cool as well. I, I just really, really want Code Orange to win and because I think they deserve it. But, and I have to say, like, you know, execution as tax winning, <laughs> the Grammy for best metal performance would be fucking awesome. And I think everybody, like, you know, you say about Ice-T, I think even Code Orange came out and said, whether we win or Power Trip wins, whoever wins, we all win sort of thing. Mm, so, yeah. And they're, they're not exactly, you know, kind of backward and coming forward. And even they've kind <laughs> of concluded, like, if we lose the Power Trip, like, that's cool. We're, we're I was going right. to say that's a really nice attitude for the fact that metal is not very recognised in the Grammys the fact that they actually kind of said us being nominated and everyone being in this category 
is a win and kind of that idea of like everyone lifting everyone else up is really nice because often when you talk to code orange they're literally like no, no we're number one we're the best <laughs> although having said that they do bring bands with them you know when they were gonna they spend a lot of time putting together their tour and then they have those bands on the live stream and they want to bring like new bands up with them so i'm being a bit harsh there but that's a nice thing that they said about it mm. Fair play. That's it's. Let's let's all just be nice. It's nice to just celebrate stuff sometimes, isn't it? So let's go with that. Um, there's quite a few other uh, categories within the kind of rock sphere. There's best rock performance, best rock song. Still don't really know what the difference between some of these categories are. Uh, best rock album, um, which I should point out is for albums containing at least 51% playing time of new rock, hard metal, or uh, hard rock or metal music. Uh, best alternative music album is in here as well. Um, and this is interesting. This is an interesting bunch of artists that are getting nominated in these. Quite a few of them are popping up multiple times in these other categories because what I kind of think a lot of us are used to thinking of as being like rock music, maybe a lot of these artists wouldn't necessarily be the first that come to mind. Um, you've exactly got what Sorry? Exactly what I thought. I was like, literally, why are all these artists repeated across all the best rock categories and the best alternative music album category and why are half of them in it when they're like indie or pop they're just not rock at all yeah it's it's an interesting one i mean i list like i, I haven't listened to a lot of these i'm trying to like breeze through some of them um i've listened to the fiona apple album and i see a fan of that um phoebe bridges turns up a couple of times you've got britney howard um i listened to grace potter and actually i enjoyed that more than i was expecting it's quite cool there's a bit of a kind of that's got a lot of yeah, it's kind of quite alternative, folky rock vibes. I get that. Um, the Strokes are in here, sure. I guess so. Um, Michael Kiwanuka's in here, which I was quite surprised by. I absolutely love that album, but rock music wouldn't be the first thing I'd necessarily put under it. No. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting list. It maybe goes to show how, uh, what the kind of the rock community might think of as rock music maybe isn't being very reflected in what's actually making impacts in the world right now yeah well i mean just to sort of throw in my 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 day job podcast the other podcast that i do the right act podcast which is a sort of broader church of music that we cover rather than just sort of metal and, and rock bands i mean we've pretty much reviewed i would say 90 percent of the records that are nominated on this um um on this list across those four categories i think we've nominated uh, we've, we've reviewed most of these records and certainly like best rock performance hey the Haim album is is really good i mean again is it a rock album per se it's much more of a kind of pop album but there you know it, i i guess you know if, if you're thinking of something like fallout boy as a rock band i mean Haim have just as much in the way of real instrumentation and guitars as somebody like fallout boy do at this point and i think were fallout boy to get nominated no one would get too pissy about that same with um I mean, you mentioned Grace Potter. I think that song "Stay High" is is very guitar driven. Like, clearly, very guitar driven. Um, Her song was "Daylight." Her song was "Daylight." Uh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, um, Britney Howard. I think is just a really good record. Um, the Phoebe Bridges record. I mean, I wasn't mad keen on it, and like my co-host really loves Phoebe Bridges, but I wasn't as mad on it to be honest. I'm not that keen on Big Thief, but I mean, I have to say, the Fiona Apple album is so many things it's an incredible record absolutely just brilliant 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 record and to see it getting nominated across so many categories i think is is fucking excellent um 
on the best rock album like Fontaine's DC for the type of thing that's happened this year. I think there's been better, smaller examples of that kind of post-punk thing. But there's a couple of absolutely alike. Um, Televised Mind on that album is one of my favourite songs of the year. It's wicked. It's so wicked. So I'd be quite happy to see Fontaine's DC win that. Kiwanuka, like Mel said, is a really good album. Um, the Strokes album is not, I mean, I can't believe that's been nominated. That is a mess, that record, personally. Same with, like, Beck, Hyperspace. is a, It's not a good record at all. Um, I mean, for me, you know, if, if I, th- I think Fiona Apple should clean up over those sort of four categories, I'd be stunned if she doesn't win. When that record came out, literally everyone was talking about it. It was all everyone was talking about for, like, a month. Have you listened to it? No, I just listened to the odd song. I haven't heard the whole thing. It's really amazing. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's the thing, like, talking about, like, what rock music is now, when you think, like, oh, I wanted Foo Fighters or Bon Jovi or ACD or something like, do you know what I mean? Or something like that to get nominated. And you hear the Fiona Apple album and you go, well, you know, this isn't really rock in its traditional classic sense of the word, but it's so, it is, it's really heavy and it's really dark and it's very threatening and it's, it, and it's got this swagger to it and it's really and you know it's musically really ingenious and i feel like personally i would much rather align myself with intelligent well-crafted forward-thinking music like fiona apple than i would something which just ticks a load of boxes going it's got di- distorted guitars and it sounds a bit like nirvana and it's rock and you know i got no you know i we've kind of I don't. I think if it's if it's crap and it's like so far away from rock music, you're like, well, you know, like Imagine Dragons. Yeah, get annoyed about Imagine Dragons getting nominated for like the best rock category because they're not very good. But Fiona, but you know, all of those ones in that category, they're they're really good. They they are good. Do you know what I mean? So I don't I don't have a problem with it really at all. I think that's cool, and it and it probably is worth saying as well for kind of. Uh, a genre of music that is always considered so male dominated um you know an amazing amount of women nominated across all these categories uh which is you know again evidence of what people consider rock music to be is probably changing quite significantly um so you can see sorry i was just gonna say if they've got all these categories though three categories for rock and one for alternative music and most of the same artists repeated across them how come they've got four categories for those people but only one category for metal and i know metal's a tiny genre in comparison but it's kind of annoying like i do think every year it's why why the genre is so weird like how do they decide which falls into which i just think it's so random the Grammys are very, very confusing. Like, really, really confusing. Um, they, they do things. It gets confusing as well because you have kind of different songwriters contribu- contributing to different songs and they'll get nominated for the song in one category, but then the main artist performing it will get nominated for it in another category. Yeah, it's a very weird, weird thing. Um, but certainly not the, the worst and most aggravating set of Grammy nominations we've experienced by any means at all. Yeah. Um, there's some other bits and bobs that have happened this week. Might as well breeze through some of those. Um, Lindemann are breaking up, Al. Are you sad about this? I thought this might annoy you. I think it's a shame, yeah. I mean, I think Till is still going to do his own stuff, but not the stuff with Peter. And I think um, it's been quite hit and miss, but the last record was quite good. And I went to see them live with our lovely colleague over on Classic Rock, Fraser. And it was a really entertaining show. They'd really thought about 
what they were doing and they had loads of stupid stuff as well like throwing cream pies at the audience and they had a fish catapult which made me a bit sad throwing dead fish into the audience but they had amazing kind of visuals and like they obviously just deal with loads of really kind of confrontational controversial stuff for the sake of it like they had um, a video up of like loads of different vulvas and things like that but it was a really entertaining show and um I think like those two getting together they always just make really um weird uh weirdly themed strange music so it's kind of a shame because it was always like what are they going to do next how far are they going to push it where are they going to go and the last record I thought was really good and really interesting so um yeah see what Lindemann does next I guess see if he does anything else if you want to milk the final uh final little bits from the current incarnation of Lindemann and um, they are releasing a, a live DVD uh, in the future. So I think that will come early next year and then, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a new era for Lindemann. Uh, Metallica has stepped up work on the next album. It seems Lars Ulrich has said in a Rolling Stone interview that they're three or four weeks into some pretty serious writing, which is cool. Uh, they exclusively revealed that they'd started writing sessions for the new album in uh, our cover feature a few months back. So it's good to see those, uh, coming along a bit um as i've said this era of metallica has really felt like it's put them back into the hearts of a lot of people so i'm i'm all up for a new metallica album next year if that's when it comes amazingly it'll be five years since hardwired already which oh just seems God. why would you say that oh, i'd like to just make sure you all know that father time is looking over your shoulders <laughs> but yeah crazy crazy stuff but it means we're closer to the next metallica album which is good uh, and Evanescence are doing a live stream. Evanescence, a live session from Rock Falcon Studio, will be streaming on Saturday, December 5th at 9pm UK time. They'll be playing tracks of their brand new studio album, The Bitter Truth. Will it live up to the expectations of Steve Hill? Who can tell? Well, my expectations for that are, like, on the floor. So, probably, yeah. <laughs> How mean. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so Evanescence fans, you know what to do. That's where you know where you're going to be on December 5th. Um, we've been away for a couple of weeks. So I think we're going to do a kind of like roundup of all the good shit that's been out and is coming out uh, at the moment um, instead of kind of one album of the week. We were going to do the Killer Be Killed album last week. That's called Reluctant Hero. It came out on Friday. It's out now via Nuclear Blast. There's been a lot of very deserved hype around this album. So chances are you might have already heard it. But um yeah, that's a fucking great album, isn't it? Just another fucking great metal album. Yeah, it's really good to finally hear a supergroup of being more than the sum of their parts, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, teased, I teased Steve a bit because he used uh, a classic cliche. If any of our lovely writers are listening to this, or any writers, if a supergroup puts that album out that's actually good, don't start your review with, contrary to the popular belief, well, this supergroup's actually quite good. <laughs> what can I say to all the other writers? You lot have made me look bad because all the other groups, that are, they are crap, and you lot have been reviewing them and saying they're good, and they're not. They're not good. They're rubbish. Fucking really Killer Be Killed are really good. <laughs> yeah, Killer Be Killed kill actually are good. you fucking reviewing the Chicken Foot album and giving it a contrary to popular <laughs> um yeah this is brilliant this record really brilliant it's so good this is it feels like um it's been a good year there was the iris album and there was the uh orbit culture album it feels like it's been a really good album um, a really good year for albums that are just taking great things about modern heavy exciting metal and just mashing them together and obviously in this case 
Uh, you've got three of the, the greatest minds uh, in metal with Troy Sanders, Max Cavalera and Greg Pagliato, now joined by Ben Kohler as well on drums. So it's, it's a real, like, it's a proper fucking super group. And um, I thought the first Killer Be Killed album was good. It, like, it was decent. But th- there's something about this record that just feels more vibrant and more, I don't know, more heavy and just more good. It's just good all the way through. I love uh, it's very fast. The what? I love it's very fast. Even ones that start slow get really fast. And then it's mostly kind of Troy and Greg trading vocals with each other. It's kind of one will do the chorus and one will do the verse. And then every now and then Max crops up just to kind of scream something. <laughs> yeah, but when he does it's so well timed like it's really well timed they really pick the moments for him to come in and when he comes in with this it's so like ah yes come on max cavalera it's really good i interviewed them for the current issue and he even said i don't think this is actually in the interview because i think we didn't have room for everything unfortunately but there's even a question where he said something like um oh yeah i didn't contribute as much vocally this time but like when i did contribute it was kind of very targeted and also just the fact that um, I think he contributed like more riffs this time around and that kind of thing. There's a real good vibe around them. The fact that they all seem to be mates and just want to do a project that's just like really, really fun. And just have a good time. Yeah, there's I, so many. Go on, Steve. I was going to say, I really love the first record, but I think this one's better. I think it sounds like a ba- it sounds more like a band. You know, I think before that kind of, that unique thing of going, oh, it's going to be Greg's voice and Max's voice and Troy's voice, and we're all going to give them their own little pocket of something that they can do. And that's really cool. And everybody was really, really excited by that. But I feel like at this at this point, like El, like you sort of said, they've, they're not as, they're not kind of, it's not as made by committee. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if Troy has to do the majority of the song, he does it because that's what the song sounds good. And I think they're just really good at writing the, and doing the things that all three of those people have all been really good at doing throughout their entire career. I mean, Greg sounds really beautifully melodious at one point and then, you know, incredibly scathingly spiteful the next. Troy does those kind of big, booming Mastodon vocals and Max just comes in with these massive riffs and just makes everything super brutal. And you sort of think like, you know, progressive, spacey rock mixed with big groove metal mixed with weird math time signatures mixed with like converge style hardcore drumming it shouldn't really work really individually those things are so odd but it's how they kind of managed to meld them all together to make this this one kind of moving organism on something like i mean there's a song in it called filthy vagabond which is proper like old school motorhead punk but you've got Troy from Mastodon singing on it. You've never heard Troy from Mastodon doing like whoa, whoa, you know, like big kind of gang vocal choruses before. It's mental. You think, oh, yeah, never so that's cool. All about being on the road and just eating shitty food and having a good time and not being told what to do. I love that song. It's just so much fun, isn't it? It's just like, here's some yeah. fun. Have a yeah, good time. It definitely sounds like they're, they're just having fun. But I mean, you know, we, we see that that is kind of what supergroups do, isn't it? They get together and they just go, oh, let's just play some songs and have a laugh. But this feels so much more compact. It doesn't feel kind of meandering or like the, the bits don't all fit together. Um, I love that track. Is it um, is it Left of Centre? Yeah. Left of Centre, yeah. Political track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's great. Um, and, you know, there's, there's bits of like Testament on here. There's bits of like Judas Priest on here. Like there's loads of great stuff. So yeah, it's really, really good. 
So if for some reason you haven't listened to that album yet, go and check it out. And then make sure you do pick up the, uh, the latest issue of Metal Hammer, where L got Greg, Max, Troy and Ben to all actually interview each other. It's really good fun. A good old read. Uh, that's what now will be a nuclear blast. Um, an album that is coming out uh, this Friday is a band that I feel like we've given a lot of very deserved love to here on the podcast over the years, mostly courtesy of Stephen Hill. Um, and they've got their new album out right now. And it is, uh, it's something really special. And I kind of feel like if it had come out a little bit earlier, it probably would have been featuring um, quite heavily in our albums of the year lists, which we'll read uh, next month. Um, this is Palm Reader, who are one of the UK's brightest sparks in the hardcore scene. Um, they put out a ton of great stuff already. They've been on the scene for a good few years now. Um, and it feels like this is something quite different for them. Um, what are you saying, Stephen Hill? They're, they're your boys. Yeah, I mean, for those of you who have been listening to the Metal Hammer podcast from the last incarnation, will probably know that it would have been like 2000 and the start of 2012 when I first saw Palm Reader and I didn't have um, an album out then. And I heard their demo and I just thought it was a really, really good kind of metallic hardcore thing. And I've pretty much loved everything they've done since then. I think their first album is quite straight. Their first album, Bad Weather, is quite straight ahead, but it's really good. Um, besides the one we, besides the ones we've lost with their second album, I think they took that kind of chaotic um hardcore that you hear to to pretty much as high a standard as any british band had taken it and then for their last album in 2018 braille they went off on a slightly different direction and brought in more elements of melody and brought in more kind of i guess post-metal vibes to it as well and i sort of i thought that album was really really good and i've been really really positive about everything they've ever done but this is comfortably comfortably i would say the best record that they've ever produced um at this point when you look at the journey from bad weather to sleepless i mean it it barely sounds like the same band um i'm not even sure what sort of band they are anymore because it's definitely not hardcore and when you look at their peers from that time, they've either split up or have carried on doing the same thing over and over again. I guess the one positive thing you could take from Palm Reader being spectacularly <laughs> ignored over the last sort of eight years or so is that it's made them continue to push their way into finding new sounds and doing new things. There's touches of Ghost on this, of Cult of Luna, of Isis, of Converge, of... Deftones. I mean, some big Deftones vibes off this album. Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly frank with you, I think this is better than the new Deftones record. No, Steve, no. No. I'm not having that. It is. There's, there, I mean, if I was to pick something from the last Deftones album that it lacks slightly, it is super memorable choruses. And I think the Palm Reader album has that, but they are buried beneath. A uh, raft of incredibly complicated, dexterous, rhythmical tableaus and very delicate um, sort of soundscape parts. That it is, I mean, there's a song in it called Willow. That if Def- if that had been on the last Deftones record and they released it, people would have been going mad like they were for Diamond Eyes. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff that sounds Deftones like. Totally agree, and it, that's one of the things that made me pay attention to this record more than the others because 
you're more, much more into hardcore than I am. Um, but I still, I love the Deftones record this year so much. It can't touch that for me. <laughs> well, fair enough. I mean, it's a pretty high bar, isn't it? Really? I mean, I don't think I got, a bit, like, I, you know, I, we were very, very positive about OMS. I love OMS. Not even sure OMS is the best Deftones album that's coming out this year, to be perfectly honest. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, everyone knows what you're talking about. Yeah. It is for me. You think I? I mean, I think Black Stallion, which is coming out, is that's fucking amazing. Anyway, um, that's for another time. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I I think this is really really brilliant. And I think when you look at, like I say, when you look at, I mean, Bleed from Within, Bury Tomorrow, While She Sleeps, Employed to Serve, sort of bands that Palm Reader were coming along with, the 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 leaps that those bands have made. I think really pales. I think if you if you when you consider that where Palm Reader were in sort of 2013 when their first album came out to where this album has brought them, I think it is it, it really shows up a lot of those other bands. The only other band from this country I think that are really even vaguely comparable to them really is Black Peaks, who are a band again who I absolutely love. But I think I mean there's a even with Black Peaks, I think there's a kind of slightly more instantaneous nature to Black Peaks. I think there's a real kind of dark depth to Palm Reader um, that Josh, their vocalist, I've seen him turn from a kind of skinny kid who was really good at shouting. Um, he's really kind of dry on stage. He's quite kind of self-effacing. He's quite kind of meek a dude off stage. And he's gone from being like quite a kind of meek looking hardcore frontman with a big shout to someone who really knows how to use his voice. He's really upped his register massively, has really found like pockets within this very, very complicated music to draw out these incredibly, not even catchy, but just really sort of um, swelling emotive vocal parts. And I'm, I'm like, I mean, I've banged the drum hard for Palm Reader for years now, but this is, Genuinely, I think this is a real, this is a real like high bar for them. I think. I think I think it's a brilliant album, actually. Um, I, I, we I got a sent from the PR ages ago, who picked it up very much as PRs do, um, and I kind of thought, yeah, maybe like I, I I've always respected Palm Reader a lot, um, but they're just kind of in they were in that kind of more scattershot frenetic end of hardcore that i've never really been quite as into so it's just not been quite as much my vibe but this album is so good and i definitely think will um should and hopefully will bring in fans from a far more diverse array of pockets of the metal and, and hardcore worlds um, it's so much more expansive. It's so much more atmospheric. It's so much more emotional as well, I think, this album. There's like some really affecting moments on it. Um, and yeah, and I think at the same time, it is really catchy and has those kind of hooks in there that bands like Deftones have been so good at doing, where they sound all kind of ethereal and, and otherworldly and weird and kind of off kilter, but still get these hooks and choruses that bury into your brain. Um, it's a really, really great record. And I think... It's one of those things where if it had come out a bit earlier, I think it was going to come out earlier, wasn't it? But it got put back because yeah, it was yeah, yeah. going to come out uh, on Holy War and then all that shit went down. And now, thankfully, the uh, brilliant people at Church Road Records have uh, made sure that this album still still gets out there. So 
don't sleep on this record. Um, that wasn't meant to be a pun, but there you go. The, the album is called Sleepless by Palm Reader. It's out on Friday. It is really, really good. It will definitely be making some uh, some last minute leaps into people's albums of the year lists, I'm sure. Um, and also out this week in a compl- completely different realm. If you're not interested in kind of expansive experimental albums or bands pushing themselves into new things or but different groups of people coming together and making a mishmash of totally different types of metal bands. There's a new Hatebreed album out this Friday. It is called Weight of the False Self and it's fucking great because it's Hatebreed doing what Hatebreed do best and you should listen to it because it will get you 666% pumped for your Friday. Um, anything else to add to that about the new Hatebreed album? It's bloody good. Yeah, I, like, I mean, it, yeah, it's good. I mean, Hatebreed do the thing that they do. And if this album, I mean, you know, is it as exciting as it was in 2002? Maybe not, because we've had like, you know, 50 big dollops of it over the years. And, uh, you know, I don't ever, I, I'm probably not as excited by the idea of a new Hatebreed album as I might have been like, you know, when The Rise of Brutality or whatever was coming out. But they're just so incredibly great at doing this particular thing. And, you know, I think it's probably worth pointing out, we ain't going to get any more Slayer albums now. We're not getting any more Slayer albums. So if you get the like, what's the, the one two punch of a stroke of red and dig your way out on this record is full on Seasons in the Abyss like worship. It's thought, fucking brilliant. I thought a stroke of red started out really like Symphony of Destruction. Like it really starts out like that. But that last bit where they go double time and they go full blown, like smash their way through it and then dig your way out when it goes into like that kind of bass everything drops out and just the bass does a is is brilliant it's thrash-tastic and jamie sounds excellent if you like hate breed you're gonna have a very lovely time listening to this clearly and if for some reason you don't like hate breed or you haven't really listened to them yet check out the new hate when it comes out they're such a great band just one of the metal's reliable cornerstones um steve said thrash-tastic if you want even more metal that's out uh, i believe it's out this week uh, there's a new Sodom album. Uh, if you like your kind of destruction creator, slayery kind of stuff, you should listen to that. If you want something more nebulous and voidy and heavy and scary as fuck, um, there are a couple of great albums that came out a couple of weeks back. The new records from Dark But Arising and The Biru are uh, very, very much worth your time. If Jonathan Seltzer was on this podcast right now, he'd be waxing lyrical on them. But um, if you've enjoyed recent albums by bands like Aranzi, Pazuzu and all those kind of cats, uh, definitely go and check out those records as well. Um, For all its madness, 2020 has continued to pump out great music this year. And uh, I think when we do do our big end of year podcast next month, we're going to have a lot of great stuff to talk about. Um, Clutch have got an album out, a collection, the Weathermaker sessions, the, all the stuff that they've been doing over the last year or so kind of put together. It's cool. Yeah. Again, if you like Clutch, you're going to want to get that. And if you don't like Clutch, why don't you like Clutch? What's wrong with you? Um, loads and loads and loads of great stuff going on. But if you can only find time for one album to listen to this week, definitely make it that Palm Reader record because it is really, really, really good. Uh, let's take some reader questions now from facebook.com slash readers. L, would you like to read a question out? Andy Poole asks, prior to lockdown 2.0, there had been some socially distanced live performances in the UK, but not by metal bands. 
Why do you think someone like Louise Redknapp is able slash willing to do a socially distanced performance, yet a metal band is not? I was not aware Louise Redknapp was doing anything in 2020, let alone doing gigs. I don't know if you go into that. The, the fourth best member of Eternal. Um, but yeah, uh, I I don't know. A metal band, I don't know if metal bands are not really able to. I just guess it's probably a bit more problematic. I guess maybe they're not on certain people's priority list when some of these organisations are putting these gigs together. Yeah, I think be... it's just promoters, isn't it? Promoters and like companies and I don't know, she's just working with them or has been picked and metal bands haven't. But there were, there obviously have been metal um, shows lined up that just not happened. So Skindred were meant to do that drive through one um, and then that never happened. And Loathe were obviously going to do theirs and that never happened. So I, I don't know if it's a metal specific problem. I think it's just some artists have been able to and some haven't. And it probably just depends on which companies and individuals you're working with and what they're all doing. Yeah, I, I mean, that's probably true. I would imagine metal bands are probably a little bit, uh, if you're used to, you know, playing a dive venue and people climbing on top of each other, the idea of you not being able to do that, I mean, they might worry about that. They might worry about that from a performative point of view and they might worry about that from a ticket sales point of view because I'm not sure I'd want to go and see, I don't know, every time I die or something and have to sort of sit on my hands the whole way through, you know what I mean, and not jump around at all. So there's that. And then, yeah, I think someone like Louise Redknapp has just, like when they roll this out, they're inevitably going to roll it out first to like easy sales. If you're going to go and see Louise Redknapp, you're probably quite happy to sit in your car. I just picked up Louise Redknapp and she did have a new album out this year. So fair play. She's done more in 2020 than I have. What can I say? Yeah. Uh, I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to see Louise Redknapp live. Um, yeah. I think it's like a lot of kind of sit down and tap your feet. People were like George, George Ezra do one, you know, it's going to be people that they're going to be the first people that they get out there aren't there, because that's what the majority of the world likes. They don't like, creator yeah fair 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 um it will happen sooner than later there's vaccines on the way and all sorts of stuff's going on it's gonna be all right we'll get gigs again before we know it um speaking of which adam beard says when bands do get back on tour should virtual tickets be an option from all venues giving the venue more revenue and giving the fans the option to see a gig that otherwise would be sold out these virtual tier packages are awesome uh these virtual tier packages that some bands are doing are awesome too they mean more merch sales so should we if possible see more bands kind of offer virtual access to gigs that they're actually playing in the real world when this happens i can't see it happening at every show because you would have to have a lot of like a production team to do that at every show or you'd end up just with like one fixed camera on the sound desk (laughs) recording the band which would be terrible um, and as we were talking about earlier, I think Steve and certainly more people are going to get um, a bit fed up soon if everything kind of looks the same and there will be an expected evolution at some point. But I think it would be a cool idea to offer um, streaming in some capacity. So maybe it'll be something like bands are doing a tour and they pick the biggest or most prestigious venue or they pick um, you know, something else to do with it so that people can still see them if they can't go to the 
real gigs for whatever reason, but it'll be slightly different. I, I don't think doing it from every venue would work. I think it would have to be a designated venue or a designated stream that accompanies it. And if it was good enough, you might have people who want to watch them both. If it was something like Steve was saying earlier, that's more like a concert film or has different locations or whatever, you might get somebody who wants to go and see a real gig and a virtual gig. So yeah, if you've got some imagination and some money, there's probably some nice things that you can do. I think the Underworld used to do that. I've been to see a few gigs at the Underworld where there'd be some dude running around the stage with like a tripod and a camera and he'd be live streaming it onto Facebook. And I guess if you're, if you like whoever's like, I mean, I think that's sort of Black Dahlia murder. And I mean, if I was sat at home and I wasn't doing anything and I wasn't at the gig and it was streaming live on Facebook, I probably, you know, I might, I might tune into that. And that actually, you know, that feels that feels a little bit more exciting to me than just a band filming themselves playing live in an empty venue. Because if you, like I said, if you can't go to the gig, at least you can go, well, this is actually happening live and there are people there and it feels much more, it would feel much more like watching an actual gig and just a little bit more normal. So yeah, it might do. I can't, I can't see that it would hurt. Um, I'd love to, I definitely, there's some I'd definitely love to see that for. I was just thinking, um, incredibly next year will be 10 years since Metallica did their 30th anniversary celebrations at the Fillmore. I remember when they did those four yeah. and they, they did all those rare cuts and brought out all those special guests. And I think if they did something like that, but broadcast it live, even if it would be stupid o'clock in the morning, I'll buy a ticket and I'd watch that and yeah. I'd get mates, mates around, have some beers and just really enjoy that. So, I agree. Yeah. That'll be really special. Definitely. Let's do it. Um, Steve, let's take this next question up since you were just showing off your Christmas tree. Oh, you've ruined it now, haven't you? Mark Baker says, my wife put our Christmas decorations today, put up our Christmas decorations today whilst I was at work. What an absolute... Oh. What is a suitable punishment? What is the earliest that you put yours up? Well, the earliest I put mine up uh, was Sunday when my actual Christmas tree went up on, what would that have been? The 22nd... No, 20, Saturday, 21st of November. 21st of November. That's six weeks that's going to be up, mate. I know. I hope it's not a real one because it'll be dead by Christmas. Not a real one. Well, look, in the defence of this, my girlfriend had to put it up for a work, a job that she's doing. And it's up now. So we couldn't put it up and then take it down. That would be mental and then put it up like a week later. So it's up now. So fuck it. It's Christmas. Hooray. fair that's fair i should say in defense of uh mark as well who asked the question he did ask that for last week's podcast so it was like a whole week earlier than uh what what we're talking about um his wife put them up without him because if i was in a situation where the christmas tree decorations had already been put up i'd be like i wanted to put the christmas decorations up yeah yeah Yeah, i think that's probably why he's annoyed as much as the timing probably annoyed about the fact that he didn't get to put putting up Christmas decorations is lovely. And I didn't actually help this, to put those our Christmas decorations up because I felt like it was too early. And now it's up. I'm like, oh, I would have liked to have helped out on that. But I'd sort of... You could get some more. You could get some additional decorations for the house. Oh, we. I think we're going to. I think we're going to go big. I think oh. you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's cool. I, I, I refuse to acknowledge Christmas because my birthday's right at the end of November. So I don't acknowledge it until... November's passed and then it's time to get Christmassy and then I go all in on it so come next week those decorations will be up and I'll be getting my first viewing of Muppets Christmas Carol ready let's go um good 
Good. That wasn't yeah. a reaction from you. I just realized that I had to read a question out and lost my track. Oh, uh, really important question as well. Steve Rowling, Ratline and Douglas uh, says, what is your favorite pot noodle? But then he does quite helpfully point out that other pot and hot water products are available. Well, that's good because do I know like a pot noodle? <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't either, to be honest. I prefer the, what's the one that come in the like the, the packs, the little. Yeah, I'd rather have them. I've never had a pot noodle. Awful. We've absolutely ruined this. Not I've, only, I've only ever had super noodles. I, the, the bacon one is the best one. I used to rock the old chicken super noodles back when I was a student, back in the day. I was under the impression that it was somehow healthy. Yeah, I used to have bacon super noodles after a night out. I used to come home, microwave up some bacon super noodles, or put them in the pan, can't remember, and then just put a load of cheese in, mix the sachet in, and mix them all around. And have you, were, you were living a bloody decadent existence, Eleanor. When I was a student <laughs> coming home once, and all I had to eat was pasta, I had some pasta shells, and gravy, and that was it. Yeah, but super noodles are basically pasta. It's the same thing. Yeah, but pasta and gravy? <laughs> Just used to eat super noodles with cheese stirred into them. Yeah. Oh, this is making me hungry. I'm going to go eat. Uh, that is it for this week's show, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. You've got um, a little while longer to pick up the new issue of Metal Hammer. This might be the last week you can get it, actually. I think our new issue might be on sale next week. Woohoo! Exciting times. Uh, and pick it up while you can. Uh, I know it's hard graft out there for everyone at the moment, but we'll come through it. Um, and before you know it, we'll be talking about actual gigs and not gigs on a screen. Uh, we'll see you all next week. In the meantime, it's goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.